podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Miller, lovely cushion header for Gerard! You beauty! What a headshot! What a head! The time to Luis Garcia, tries his mark, Hello and welcome to what I can now safely say is the final Champions League preview podcast here on Anfield Index. I am your host, Andy Wales, uh, not coming to you from a study in rural Ireland, but um, a living room in suburban England. And if that's not glamorous enough for you, then perhaps our build towards European football's showpiece event might just do the ticket. Uh, joining me to preview Liverpool's, uh, hopefully, hopefully, adding that elusive six star as they uh, face Tottenham Hotspur at uh, the Metropolitano in Madrid. And I'm glad I was able to actually uh, pronounce that one. Uh, first up is a man who was actually there at Anfield for that incredible second leg against Barcelona. Jay Reid, how are we doing, Jay? Splendid, mate. Uh, this has been the longest gap between games I think we've ever had. And the fact that still, as we record on Monday, another five days away, it's still a long wait. But yeah, can't wait to get there. Um, if it's anything, half of like the nights up uh, Anfield against Barcelona, then I'll be more than happy. And probably go back to the doctors for me heart rate pleasure to be monitored once again because it's through the roof at the moment watching Liverpool as always yeah and we we will uh, talk further about uh, that night at Anfield against Barcelona with you uh, but joining Jay is Anfield Index writer and podcaster he's the man from down under Alex Barilaro how you doing Alex is it is it good, good afternoon or good evening uh, good evening, good, good, relatively latish evening, half past eight here at the time of recording. Um, yeah, I'm, I come to you from the future, uh, but that's uh, the future which is just prevailing with these moments where all of a sudden the tension and gripping fear hits you, and you just go, Jesus Christ! It's only t minus five nights until Champions League final. Uh, yeah. That that gripped me last year, but there was nowhere near as much apprehension. Uh, and it, oh man, just I don't have the iron belief that I guess I assume Jay would coming from the Barcelona game. Just it's just, I'm just wrought with fear, Andy. I'm wrought with complete fear. Oh, it, I think it's perfectly natural. There's just so much riding on it, and and finally, it wouldn't be me on a podcast if I wasn't joined by the backbone of uh, Anfield Index, effectively known as producer guy. He is, of course, my uh, my partner in crime, Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are we doing, Guy? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's been a bloody long time since there's been a game. I mean, I'm actually looking forward to the championship playoff final this afternoon. That that shouldn't that should not be the case. <laughs> it's just uh, I, I miss football. You mean between between Frank Lampard's derby and John it, Terry's Aston Villa? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. I don't. That, I shouldn't be looking forward to that. I mean, I'm actually. No, pen- you should. I've penciled in the Europa League final, man. Oh wow! Well. <laughs> oh, it, it. Yeah, we Saturday needs to hurry the hell up. <laughs> yeah, th- three weeks between games kind of feels like three months. Um, it's quite insane. Anyway, Jay, we're going to come to you first because, as I mentioned, that uh, that night, and it is that night at Anfield against Barcelona, second leg. Starting a game 3-0 down, uh, we'd been written off, we were down and out, um, as we've mentioned on this preview beforehand, you know, we, we do kind of have a bit of history of making these kind of comebacks when nobody really expects us to do it. You know, no Roberto Firmino, no more Salah, just to add even more uh, ingredients into the mix. And what happened, I well, just an absolutely incredible game. I don't know how many times I've watched it since, but you were there. What was it like? Because that atmosphere, it was incredible just coming through the screen. But 
Would you say it, it was the best you've ever witnessed at Anfield in terms of atmosphere? Yeah, yeah. I would say probably the only game that came close to that in recent time that I've been in attendance would be the Borussia Dortmund game because it was such backwards and forwards. But I would say, taking it back to the very start, I was even apprehensive to even go to the game. I was uh, debating not going and giving me ticket away, but then, of course, so I did. I've, I've booked a day off work. Uh, what's the worst that can happen? And I even put, I think I put a tweet out at the time saying, at the very worst case, I get to see the greatest player that's lived, in my opinion, Grace Anfield. And I don't know if I'll get to see that again. Um, and, yeah, Devok Origi, there he was, the greatest player that ever lived. Um, but, uh, 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 yeah, got him. Um, it was it was a night that it, it sort of built and built. And even, we obviously, we, we get the early goal. And all along, I just said, if we get one, we won't get two. And then we might just trundle along and get it into extra time. But even going in a half-time, just one goal to the good, it was... It was a moment when you thought, well, we might just actually get another goal or two out of this because it doesn't look like we're going to squeeze any more out of Barcelona. And in all honesty, Alisson kept us in the game several times and you thought you can't give this team of this quality that many chances. But Gini Wijnaldum comes on and he's an absolute revelation. He had one of the games when he when he showed up and he didn't disappear into the mire of the midfield. And he came on and he, was like, he said himself, he was disappointed to be left on the bench and he'd come on with the bit between his teeth and he was just running wild. He was turning four players inside out. He was all over the pitch and when you get that second goal and then the third one coming straight after, you knew it was in our hands. Um, and I'll be, I'll be honest, completely, uh, my phone was buzzing away in my pocket with my friends on about trying to book flights and my phone buzzes in my pocket. I grabs it on my pocket and the next thing, the ball's in the back of the net for the fourth goal and I was, I was screaming, but I don't know who scored. And it took me about three or four minutes to figure out who had scored because everyone was just going mental. I was probably hanging over the guy in front of me, shoulders in the row in front. And then I was getting ragged back by the guy behind me. I was hugging people around me who I've never met before in my life. And my heart was pounding for the next 20 minutes of just clear the ball, keep our composure, just get it out of the, our box. And, Actually, when it got to around about 83, 84 minutes, I was like, this is it. And I sent the text to my mates. I was like, get the flights booked because we're going. Like, I was confident even with potentially 10 minutes left on the clock that we were going to do it. They weren't, They were never going to score. They were gone. And in anything, we were probably going to get a fifth on the, on the break. And to be there for that game was an absolute pleasure and something that, you know, you can tell people out for the rest of your life because... Even the legends of the past have said, this is probably the greatest night at Anfield in European football. And there's people who've seen a lot more games than I have. And as I say, the only one I could compare it to was Borussia Dortmund. And that was a helter-skelter game where this one, this was just pure scouse passion from the people in the crowd. And they pushed Liverpool on. They were clearly the 12th, even the 13th man. And then... I almost choked up at the end when you, you've got the guys stood in front of the cop, applauding the cop, singing away. And even the the most sternest man of all, James Milner, he welled up himself. So, you know, if if James Milner, the proud born Yorkshireman, is getting emotional, then he would not get emotional at that point. Yeah, it was just, just incredible. And Alex, I think the context of where our a league campaign was at that point. I think we, we, we all knew that that was it. The league was gone. Uh, deep down, we knew the league was gone, that City were going to finish the job there, that that the game kind of suddenly had more riding on it, that uh, it was important that we had to put on a performance at the very, very least and re- regain some pride. But we did more than that. And uh, myself and Guy, you know, we did the rest review, the end of season review, uh, one one award that we I think we failed to to hand out was performance of the season. Uh, and would you say that that was Liverpool's performance of the season? Yeah, without a doubt. I think heightened importance based on the performance came from the fact that we were missing our front two of our front front three, and Sadio Mane didn't end up scoring any of the goals. He didn't really have that much of a hand in them. Um, Shakiri's cross for 
Wijnaldum's header, that what that moment that, that we got 3-0, it was inevitable. It was almost inevitable because it came at such a time that there was still 20 minutes left and I saw Barca fans just going, well, doesn't matter if we score one, they'll score two. And it doesn't matter if we score two in the next 20 minutes, they'll just score three. It was inevitable. And that sense of inevitability, inevitability rather, I've never, ever seen from a football team, let alone like our football team, um, that as a, not necessarily as a chance created per every five minutes, whatever performance, because we didn't create that many. But in terms of a genuine, in the words of Jurgen Klopp, mentality giant performance, it was in terms of mentality, colossal and gigantic and titan. Titans, those boys are. Um, from the, for me, that was the greatest like football match I've ever seen. And I d- didn't even, I admit, I didn't even watch it in, in real time because the sense of apathy that gripped me from basically Leicester watching that company goal go in all the way to the night before the Barcelona game at Anfield when because I'm forward in the future. I realized, oh, yep, it's going to be 4 a.m. the next day. I'm not getting up for that. Just see us maybe get a couple of consolation goals. Uh, and to wake up when I did, which was two minutes after full time, see the score and scream in my room. Uh, it was otherworldly. And then to th- just watching the performance back almost gave me a sense of perspective as, as if you were watching a deity kind of perform some ritual, but you were watching on a video camera as if you were going, I can't believe this has actually happened. This is doctor. I'm, I'm either in a dream or it's being doctored. I'm not seeing this live, so I don't quite believe it. Um, and that is a performance that, I mean, it's part of the reason football's magical, but no football game was as special as that one. It was just absolutely unbelievable. And Guy, as, as I mentioned, like, you know, we've done the season review, Reds review. We, you know, we, we've spoke about so many of these games um, throughout this season. But the Reds' route to the final this year, it does definitely feel a bit different from last year, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, la- last year was probably not easy, but it was almost ideal in terms of the run. Obviously, Man City was on paper, well, on paper was a very difficult game, but turned out to be pleasant, <laughs> quite easy. Um, but obviously, we had Porto, and Roma in the semi-final, which is probably the best you can hope for in a semi-final. And this season we've had, um, we had Porto again, obviously, but they were better and they showed that in their performances as well. They did trouble us a bit more. Um, Bayern Munich, obviously, who we probably played them at an almost ideal time, I suppose, because they have seemingly improved um, as the season's gone on, but they were still better than most teams you'd probably play in that round, um, considering we finished second. And we pretty much schooled them. Um, That's Bayern Munich, who not the most successful in the Champions League in recent times, but I think I remember they consistently got to the semi-finals and and we almost strolled past them. And that's coming off a nil-nil in the first leg. And then we just took it to Germany and just went, well, we've won this. Um, And Barcelona, well... We played okay in in the new camp, but then they got lucky with a couple of goals. And Messi is Messi, and I, I was with Alex. I almost didn't watch it, especially coming off the back of that um, the Leicester game uh, with Man City. I was just like, "Well, that's a season over. I don't football's done for a year. Time to have a break." Um, so yeah, and that game was just magnificent. But yeah, our, our route to the final, we. Not the most difficult because we got Porto and stuff like that, but you look at to- look at Tottenham's route, probably similarish, I suppose. Um, so yeah, it's been a mu- much harder than last year, I'd probably say. But yeah, still, um, just just that semi final game. Barca's probably the hardest team you can play, and yeah, look what we did. Yeah, incredible indeed, uh, and Jay. Aside from Barcelona, any other highlights along the way? I've, I would say Sadio Mane's goal at Bayern Munich. Um, we done a season review face-off podcast the other day, and um, that was going to be my goal of the season because it was missed out on several of the podcasts. But it was just a 
the time and composure that he seemed to have, that nobody else in that game seemed to have around him. And at no point did they actually fear when we when we kicked off against Bayern Munich. They, they never threatened us, and we expected an onslaught, and we gave a professional performance at home against them and kept them out. But then going to the Allianz, everyone expected Bayern Munich to come at us, be a bit rampant, be a lot more faster, but they never. Um, and the only time of panic for the whole game was when they had a 15-minute spell after Mazip had uh, inconveniently put the ball into his own net. But the the touch, the turn, and the composure from the exit of the box, falling away on his weaker foot to actually dink the ball so it didn't get intercepted by any defenders, that was a pure moment of genius for a guy who's, who's probably not received nowhere near as much credit as he should have this season. So apart from other instances throughout the campaign, um, that was probably the moment for me where you kind of think, you know what, this year we probably can do it again because we were getting the tough draws and to come no tougher than we'd face the French champions, even the Serbian champions when we, we had a lot of trouble out in Belgrade, uh, the second best team in Italy. Then we face, you know, the, the German champions, Portuguese champions, the Spanish champions, and now Spurs. Uh, but French French champions in the group stage as well, the PSG yeah. game. Yeah, so we we Ooh. faced everyone, and at that moment it just felt like you know we can go we can go far again, and we're we're probably the most feared team in Europe in knockout competitions now. Nobody wants to face us, and I think that was said by Real Madrid and Barcelona in the knockout stages that nobody wants to face Liverpool. They'll happily face Manchester City because they fancy the chances, but not against Liverpool because the, we are the most dangerous team. On the counter attack in Europe, we absolutely are. And Alex, um, I mean, some of the, some of them stops along the way. I've I I picked out Allison for some praise as well uh, on the res review because I I think it can easily be forgotten. But you know, we just made it through the group stage, and more obviously the importance of him against Napoli. But were it not for Allison and his performance in Paris. We might not have even made it through the group stage, and and I think it's important that we, uh, you know, remember that the contributions of ev that everybody has made along the way. That you know, this hasn't just been about the front three and attacking football this season, has it? No, not at all. It's been phenomenal, and um, considering Allison gives us now a whole year's worth of perspective going into last year's Champions League final one. We were playing Madrid, so we were more apprehensive than normal. But also, Carius was not the number one by any stretch of the imagination. He was maybe the 1.3 and Mignolet was the 1.7 and you get Carrius more than often, more often than not, but there was still maybe a third, a 33% chance that Carrius would have a blunder and Mignolet would be in the next week. Klopp only stuck faith in him really once he was through that bloody in phase. And as bad as Carrius's mistakes were last season, he was like, he was decent, but never great. So we were never expecting him to be this colossus. Um, the year of perspective now has given us this Champions League run, Allison being an absolute freak of nature. Not just that, but the most formidable front three that always gets lauded, always gets lauded. And people always label front threes as a front three and a partnership because they have to work in tandem because you can have a striker like Bobby who doesn't score so long as Salah gets 30 a season, Mane gets 20 a season. But in the same vein, you need a goalkeeper with two good centre-backs to form a triumvirate there. And Joel Matip has come into the fore brilliantly over the last few months. Um, Jay mentioned his, his unfortunate own goal. That was... It wasn't even his fault. It was Robertson's fault. But that's the only blemish on what has been a phenomenal record for a man that we got, remember, on a free from Schalke. And he was never going to be first choice, except when compared to Dejan Lover. And he was always kind of just a placeholder to be optimally third choice. But he's just done brilliantly. Um, and to see a defensive trio and a front three, remember last season against Madrid, it was always... Will the front three be too devastating for Madrid? Will the front three do this? Will the front three do that? Now it's can Spurs penetrate Van Dyke, Matip, and and Allison, or will they be caught the same way that everyone else was? The danger factor is extreme. And the one thing I was going to say after, as Jay was really off the um, people that we've beaten, um, the team 
coming out of the group stage this season wasn't as good as, as the team coming out of last season in terms of reputation. But it was last season's journey to the Champions League final that kind of got us through the groups. Uh, got us through the knockout stage, rather, because I think we had that experience. So credit should go not just to Klopp, but to everyone for wisening up. But there was a, a new story from BN Sports, I think, after the first knockout stage. Uh, no, no, sorry, before. It was before the Bayern game when we um, – the first first or second Bayern like came from BN Sports and it was from their Spanish reporter and they said the one team that Barcelona and Real Madrid don't want to face most of all is Liverpool. And they said they are afraid of coming up against Liverpool and they are happy that Bayern Munich got him. And to see Liverpool feared again is just the best feeling in the world. And yeah, that is not just the front three. That's not just those back three either. That's a brilliant, brilliant team that's just dominating the Champions League and is really making it its making it its home, making it its cathedral. So, the, all right, the Champions League is where we are the gods and everyone else is living in our church. And we're going to get to Spurs now, but to, just briefly then, Alex, would you have preferred Ajax or Spurs? I mean, purely hypothetically speaking now. I think I would have preferred Spurs. One for the grandiose nature of it. I understand that there is reservations from our fans about, well, if it does go wrong, it will be incessant. But Ajax had the fear factor of, well, these kids could just turn up and do something that we're not prepared for. Um, Whereas Spurs, we know all the elements uh, and we know how to counter all the elements. The flip side is they know how to counter our elements, but we are the better team. We have the better squad. We have the better first 11. So if something goes wrong, it'll be because we were wrong on the day, not because we underestimated them, mm. um, which that would have been the, my biggest worry with Ajax, given Klopp's record in finals, coming up against teams he's not familiar with, whereas compare that to his record against the top six, which has been quite good. Um, I think this was kind of the, the final that we could have, the best final we could have hoped for from the quarterfinals, to be honest. Yeah, and and Guy, I think I know the answer from this one, but um, which would you have preferred to be facing in the uh, in the final? Ajax, 100%. <laughs> terrifies me playing Spurs. Could be the most embarrassing loss in, in our history. <laughs> none of that. None of that stuff. <laughs> it's, it's that fear of, oh my God, if it goes wrong, this yes. will be unbearable, yeah. I get, I get that. Like, I understand how unbearable it could be, but at this stage, it's just like I'd rather the enemy I know than the enemy I don't. Yeah, I, I even think if the enemy sense. I know will rub it in my face if they win. <laughs> I think that makes sense. I mean, personally, look, I, I would have enjoyed the fact that it's just facing a different team, and you know, we don't have anything with Ajax, and I was kind of looking forward to the the prospect of that being different. I mean, Jay, what what about yourself then? Did you have any preference, whether it was Spurs or Ajax, or did it just not really matter? Uh, Ajax. Um, if anything, it was purely for the football. Um, because of the young, vibrant side, it was potentially a final that was a tennis score. I mean, they they were clearly going to come out and play that they've played in every round of the competition so far. But if you were to take anything from the two games against Spurs that Ajax did play, is they give a real good go for 45, 50, 60 minutes. And then they seem to run out of steam and they run out of ideas. And I think our experience, professionalism, and our overall quality probably would have shone through in the end. But it could have been, you know, a game that was 4-2, 5-3, something like that. But it was the experience of also their fans. I mean, you only have to look at the measly trophy parades that Man City, if that's even what I want to call a parade, um, that they managed to gather together in their end-of-season finale parade compared to Ajax, where they had 100,000 in the, the in the square in Amsterdam and Matthias the Lecter's conducting them like some sort of classic composer. And that would have been great to experience a European final with a European team. But, you know, you face what's in front of you. And we've been spurs twice this season. And... We've done that without probably our most influential player in the second half of the season, which was Fabinho. And we all know how important he is. And I think that could probably just be the the absolute deciding factor where we come to this later on is 
Fabinho did not play against Spurs this season until he come on in the second half of the second game and he controlled that game. So I I feel utterly confident whoever we were going to get, but I would have liked Dijak purely for the European nature of the, uh, the tie. Yeah, in terms of was definitely playing the long game with that. He had this in mind. He said he'd probably visit a seance <laughs> or a psychic and be like, "Don't play Fabinho unless for forty-five minutes when you really need him. Make sure he's your secret weapon for when you face them in the Champions League final." Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> just thinking about the the uh, the celebrations, it, it was more like a PowerPoint display, wasn't it, rather than uh, and then parade. But uh, um, and Jay, you know, as Jay mentioned there, you know, we have beaten Spurs 2-1 in both games this season, Alex. Um, and and I think it is fair to say that we've we progressed from the previous season where, where Pochettino had had a bit of an edge over us, really, uh, essentially. They were, obviously, the batters in that, that game at Wembley where Lovren had an absolute nightmare. Um, we were good for a period at Anfield, but it still ended up 2-2 two, two, and we, we had we've, we had some difficulties in periods but this season I think we really controlled the games and the 2-1 scoreline actually flattered Spurs in both the games but having having said that it's you know it, it would be wrong not to to give a nod to Pochettino and acknowledge that the job he's done with them it's an incredible job but I just have this familiar sense of what they're doing with what is a broken, well, not broken, fractured because of injuries team, riding momentum, forsaking the league because they they basically have a good enough chance of securing their objectives for the sake of using that momentum on a miracle, beating Manchester City in the Champions League knockout stages. They remind me of us last season. And when I watched that game back, the game in Kiev, there was no way we were winning it. There was even if even if Karius didn't go and throw the ball to Benzema so early on, even if Ramos didn't break Salah, I don't think there was any way we were winning it. We just didn't have the mentality that we do this season. And Madrid for for all the villainous attributes that you associate to Madrid, they just it was like they were like, Oh yeah, this is we've been here before, this is great, we're fine, we're good. And Liverpool were right rightfully so in awe of being there because they weren't we weren't the best team in Europe last season, but we were an extremely exciting team. Spurs are an extremely exciting exciting team in Europe, but they are not the best team in Europe this season. Whereas Liverpool are not quite seasoned veterans like Madrid, but are in their second straight Champions League final. Madrid were in their third. Have been there before, want to do it again. Well, Liverpool have been there before a bit longer ago, in 2005, but they want to do it again. This is a wily team with a phenomenal, almost pillar of a, of a spine that everyone else can go off. But the key difference is, Madrid were nowhere near the best team in Europe last season. Liverpool may well be the best European team this season. From what we've seen, Manchester City in a league season is great, but, I mean, they would shake against Lyon in the group stages. Spurs only got through because Inter just screwed it against PSV. And uh, Barcelona, as we saw, couldn't handle Anfield. So it just seems like for all the apprehension that we can have regarding the familiarity of Spurs, what's more familiar is how similar they are to us last season. And supposing we're Madrid, uh, that means that we should really have the upper hand on this final because let's not forget Spurs are fractured and they are broken. If Harry Kane plays, then he won't. If Harry Kane plays, then I genuinely fear that he's going to do permanent damage to his ankle if it's not already done. Son has been in and out of the team, but he's their main threat. I mean, we'll go on about Spurs later, but it's just there's so many similarities between this and Oxlade-Chamberlain last year and Salah. And yeah, it's, it's I don't know, maybe it's just all the momentum talking, maybe it's desperation of us finally wanting to win one, but I see it's more in the Real Madrid mould of last season than I certainly do of the Liverpool mould of last season. Uh, and Guy, 
I mean, Alex has mentioned Harry Kane there. Indications are that he will play. You know, he will be fit enough to play. How quite how fit he is, we, we you know we, we won't know till the till the day. But his, I mean, this was a, a question posed within the uh, the Anfield Index Discord group, and it's are Spurs actually better without Harry Kane, despite the fact that he's you know one of their main players and has this incredible goal scoring record, but. Do they look a more cohesive and versatile attacking unit when he's not in the team? Um, oh, it's a strange one. In a game against the top six, possibly, um, or a top six rival, obviously, us, um, possibly because I think it allows Son and Mora to play more with the pace. But in general, I'd probably say no. And I know, I know the. The stats banded about this season where they had better goals and stuff like that. But you just look at Spurs' form in the second half of the season. I think they were um, they were just awful. Whoever was on the pitch in in the league. Um, but no, I mean, I think I think Kane. I think Kane's definitely their best player for me anyway. Um, and I, I I think I think they're definitely better with him. I think he gives them another. Um, source of attack. I think they can go direct. I think his hold-up play is very good. He, he's the jammiest striker in the world, apart from Divock Origi. Um, it's, it, he, I think he just gives them an extra quality in attack, and I think everyone loves Son for good reason, because he's a brilliant player and stuff like that, but from this season, he still seems quite inconsistent from what I've seen of them. And I know he's had a very packed schedule going to Korea and uh, not Korea, going to the Asian Games and um, and stuff like that. And uh, he's obviously played a lot, and I think he played at the summer and stuff like that. So I think most of Spurs players were decimated the season through that. But I, I I just think Kane gives them an extra extra quality, and I think Kane links up better with Daly Ali, for example. I think he I think his sort of style um, helps Ericsson as well. I don't think Ericsson's had the best season. I think that might be that kind of might be due, um, due to Kane's absence as well. But I think what what the difference is there is they just play as a pure counter attack, whereas if Kane's in there, you can still counter attack but he's a bit slow. Um, but I think it, when Kane plays it's better for them to break down teams. Whereas without him I don't think they can really do that. Um, so yeah, a very long-winded question, but ultimately I think the better with Kane. But I, as you mentioned in the question, we don't know if he'll be fit, and whenever whenever we've seen him be rushed back, um, whether it's this season or previous seasons, it it normally takes five to if not ten games for him to even look like a a, a percentage of himself. And never mind when he's been rushed back from, I think it's ankle ligaments he's done. I think he wasn't even meant to be fit for that UEFA Nations friendly thing. Um, so he's definitely being rushed back. Um, but he was never, I don't think he'd ever miss this game unless he's, even if he had to have his leg amputated, he wouldn't miss it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think in a bit, in a big situation like this, I think they're better off having Kane in there because he's the sort of player who seemingly does. Just he just scores goals out of pure willpower, and I'm gonna. This is very cliched and stupid things to say, but he he is just one of them who will just get a jammy goal. Where I don't think they really have that with anyone else in the squad who does that sort of thing. So, Jade, I mean, as you know, like I said, we we expect Harry Kane to be there, and you know, it's totally understandable, isn't it? It's it's the biggest game. It'd be the biggest game of his career. It's the biggest game in Spurs history. He undoubtedly wants to be there, and you can't blame him for that. But do you think Spurs might um, might suffer the fact that he he probably won't be a hundred percent sharp? And and who do you think is going to be key for them if they are to to were uh, to overcome us? Well, I hope he does play because he's clearly not a hundred percent fit, no matter what anyone says. And we've seen it several times in the past. He brushes himself back. And he's never a hundred percent, and he breaks down very, very quickly. And if he does play, then I'd, I'd be all in for Virgil or even Matter just leaving a few niggly ones on him in the first fifteen minutes and see what he's made of. I mean, we all know his ankles are made of glass now, and they're not going to last much longer. So test them, put a few sly ones in on them. Don't don't go too far, but you know, let them know that you're there and see if he's up for the fight. 
physically and mentally. And then we all know how much is Harry Kane actually strong enough to play. If he doesn't, or if he does play, um, I think a lot will come down to probably Deli Ali. Um, he's somebody who can come in and out of games, and he's had moments against us where he, he just pulls off the pure genius, and you think, like, wow, this is a talent, this kid. But then other times he can get lost up in the mire of a game, and this is where for us, Fabinho will probably be vital. Um, well, for me, he's the one player that I do actually fear because. I think we can deal with Son or Mora if, they, if they're coming from a wide position in. Then if they are the stars out wide, our fullbacks are going to push them back and make them worry. But then anything that comes towards the outside in, Virgil just seems to mop it up. And Massip has been exceptional the last few months of the season. So I have no worries that we'll be covered at the back. Um, it's just the late runs from Deli Ali. If they do play Kane and try and play off him, that's probably their points of uh, joy that they're probably going to aim at towards us because I don't think if anyone understands coming down our our sides um, if you are going to attack then you're going to potentially leave our fullbacks one on one with yours and if you're going to put them in a straight shoot out our fullbacks win against their fullbacks all day long Yeah and Alex we in the second game uh, this season against Spurs they started with a back three and we've I mean, I, I think over the, the past year or so, we've we've looked like we enjoy playing against back threes. And I, I, I felt that was a really strange move. And they started to come back into the game once they reverted to a back four. So do you think there's there's a chance that Pochettino will actually start with a back three against us again? Uh, it depends. They might be forced into it. They certainly were against Ajax that first leg. But Davison Sanchez, sorry, Davison Sanchez is injured. Um I don't know if he's going to be fit for the final. don't know what his status is, but if Sanchez is fit to play, Fatonga's fit to play, and Alderweireld's fit to play, I don't think they want to risk having Kieran Trippier go up against Andy Robertson because he'll get roasted. He he, he was admirable in the second leg, but or at least the second half of the second leg, but he's just been awful this season. Um, I think Serge Aurier might play which that, that would lead me to believe they have a back four, but I would not be surprised if they have a back three. And tactically, on the back three thing, uh, it's interesting because every team that plays a back three against us kind of inordinately always has their midfielder slip back because back three is a, a great to spread space and they're good to have really, if you put, at least the 3-4-3 three, three that Conte played at Chelsea, was great because it allowed his wide players to tuck in uh, and basically become inside forwards. We do that anyway with Mane and Salah, which means three centre-backs inordinately have to go up against... The wide centre-back has to go up against Mane, and the other wide centre-back has to go up against Salah. The middle centre-back always, almost always gets drawn down to Firmino, which means their midfielders have an issue because Bobby does drop a really, really deep. The problem with Poch in those matches was he was trying to mark full-back to full-back and play two up front, and then that just didn't work because Salah would inordinately just draw them too far in, cut onto his left foot, and, and really try and cut it there, throw it inside the box. What I think Poch would probably try to do to foil one of Mane or Salah is play either Vertonghen at left back, or maybe, I'm not sure about Eric Dyer's fitness, but I know, they, I know they're reticent to play Sissoko and Dyer in the same midfield because Dyer's been awful, but... I know. I also know Harry Winks isn't going to be fit, which means who do you play in midfield? Sissoko will definitely play. Maybe playing Eric Dyer there to kind of combat Firmino's presence so that centre-back can take Salah could be one of the things that Pochettino does. What makes me fear Son, we are just talking about players that we fear most and whether we fear Harry Kane, I fear Son's ability on the counter-attack most of all because he's so good at finding that space. And if they break quickly... I don't think they'll necessarily need Dele Alli so much as they'll need Son to get one-on-one with defenders. Virgil doesn't like doesn't like getting dribble past at all. He hasn't let it happen once this season. But against City in the 1-0, Son probably could have scored at least twice. One, there was a, well, a very well-timed tackle. I believe it was by Laporte. The other, he probably should have done better. But at the end of the day, I don't know how much have a chance we'll give them to counter-attack so again it goes back to what i was saying against ajax i think they would have tried to play 
I mean, Jay said it, they would have tried to play better football and they probably would have worn themselves out after 45. If they play Harry Kane and they try and play on the counter, we could genuinely just punish them on, on the well, the counter counter as soon as we win the ball back in that midfield area. Um, and I know we'll go on to team selections later, but that's why there are a couple of selections for Liverpool, one of them being Fab Fabinho, who was absent last time against Spurs, that make this tie really, really critical. Um, for me, yeah, so so Son would be the one I fear most. I could see them going three at the back as well, but I think it'll, they'll try and get the best out of their forwards first and foremost. And just briefly on Pochettino before we actually move on to Liverpool then, uh, there's some speculation, Alex, that uh, this could even be his last game for Spurs. I mean, he, he's been linked with, a, there's a few jobs going around Europe and potentially uh, a couple more big jobs coming up as well. So could could that be a factor in his thinking? You know, could the, you know he put everything so much more into this? Could it be a, a real emotional thing that really galvanises this team, that one final push for their manager? Perhaps, and that's what we, I think Liverpool have to be wary of, but... The managerial merry-go-round has almost already started with, well, look, so, and surely Valverde's going. I don't, I mean, we saw Rakitic's comments the other day say, oh, no, we're fully behind him. I don't think Messi likes him. I think he'll probably go. Valverde will go. That'll leave a big position. That certainly won't be filled by Pochettino with his Espanol connections. But you can imagine, I don't see, it's, it's hard now just to speculate, but, I can't see Pochettino going anywhere other than... I can't imagine Pochettino being anywhere other than Madrid in two seasons' time. Whether Juve? that's after... Maybe. But the sounds coming out of Juve does sound like they panicked with Allegri. They uh, Allegri told them, look, I'm not sure I want to renew. Juve said, all right, well, we're not sure we want to keep you here. Then they tried to sound out Conte. Conte's going to Inter now. They're trying now. They're, they're scrambling. Simone Inzaghi's been named as one of the favourites, and he's Lazio manager, and he has not been great. I think if Pochettino goes to Juve, it'll be a last-minute decision. So I don't think it's something that's happening now. So I wouldn't say we'd have to worry about that. But I don't know. I, the United job's gone now that Solskjaer's in, which was just comically funny. Only till uh, Christmas, because, though. Yeah, well, yeah, basically. Well, that's the thing. Is like if Pochettino. I, I am firmly of the belief that Pochettino wants to stay, if for nothing but to have the new stadium, to manage with a new stadium for at least half a season. I'm not sure Zinedine Zidane will stay in Real Madrid for that long. I think the squad is so much worse than the one he inherited three, four years ago. I think he's only accepted it because he's been promised certain players in the transfer market. And I think Eden Hazard will be great. Uh, Eda Militao, who they've already got a centre-back, will be great, but I don't think that's enough to change Madrid's fortunes. So Pochettino could end up at Madrid, but as yeah. of right now, I can't see anything other than Pochettino staying at Spurs. Yeah, so, so not, not a it, factor it, this close to... Probably not again. a factor, no. No. Probably not. No. So, uh, Guy, moving on to Liverpool then. When, when you look at us now heading into this game versus a year ago, coming up against uh, Real Madrid. Do you feel that we are better equipped to win this final than last year? And do you feel that we've learned the lessons from that defeat that we, uh, that better defeat that, that we experienced last year? Oh God. Yeah. Um, we, we've just, the weaknesses we've shown it, well, probably if you combine the Roma game as well as the final, um, it, it was seemingly centre back and goalkeeper. We fixed centre-back in-house, uh, firstly with Gomez and now Matip, who, who's probably only been bettered by Van Dijk in, in the Premier League since he's actually been in the team, which is amazing to say. still weird to say that. Um, so yeah, we, we've eradicated that problem, which was Dejan Lovren, who he, he did play well in Kiev, I'm not going to slay him for that, but it, it was still a weakness. And Karius, even if you just take, even if you... Um, not ignore, but if if you, well, just, I'll say ignore because I can't think of a better word. But if you ignore the final, it was still probably one of the positions we needed to fix, regardless of uh, the uh, horrendous thing in the performance in Kiev, the concussion and all that. Um, so we've kind of we've eradicated um, the two major weaknesses um, from from last season, and we've just added 
whether it's through tactics or just a change in personnel. I think Klopp was talking about Linda's influence this season um, as well. But we just added a level of control, probably not all down due to Fabinho, but having a world-class defensive midfielder obviously helps in every regard. But we've just added an extra level of control that we just simply did not have at all last season. Like Real Madrid, we were obviously, before Salah's injury, we we were playing better and we probably should have been winning and stuff like that. But we were never, we just never felt like we had control in the midfield. And I think that's the big difference between last season and this season. The midfield can now control the game, whereas last season it was like half our games we'd bypass the midfield just to have madness. And this season we can now play through Van Dijk into into Fabinho, and if Cater was fit, we'd put, we'd use Cater a lot more. And now now even Henderson as the gate, you can kind of have him more um, involved. But now, obviously, with him higher up, it, it it's much he's much more better. He's um, not taking a million touches and not doing much. He can now just take a handful of touches and impact the game. So we've just we've added a level of control that we just didn't have. We had it very rarely in, in, in games where Emre Chan had one of his mad games, Henderson had one of his mad games, but now now we're just doing it the majority of the game. And I think a team doesn't get 97 points in, in a Premier League season without control in the midfield. So I think that's the biggest difference. Um, other than that, Trent probably got better, but not loads better, because I think he was brilliant last season. Robertson, still brilliant. And the front three... Still brilliant, but not as madly brilliant, if you get what I mean. So, yeah, I think the biggest difference is definitely the midfield for me this season. And, obviously, the experiences will learn. And the hurt will have taught us some, some things that we just we can't get overawed by the uh, by the occasion. But I don't think we were last season. I think it was just the curse of Liverpool Football Club, unfortunately. Well, well Jay, coming to you, I mean, as Guy and... And Alex have both said, you know, we, we do feel that Liverpool are much better equipped this year than they, they were last year. But I, I guess the 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 unknown factor that you kind of add into this is is just how much does Jurgen Klopp need to win this game? Because it's this monkey that he kind of needs to get off his back. This thing that keeps being brought up is lost. However many, I, I forget quite how many it is now of his of his last finals. You know, it does does he really, really need to win this and and get that monkey off his back? I think he he probably does, but I think the media and everybody else is making much more of an issue about it than it actually is. But I think this issue is highlighted a lot more because it tends to be the high profile games, and nobody's making a fact of you know we're getting there. We we got to the Europa League final with a much, much weaker team and we fell apart in the second half against Sevilla. And then last season, obviously, the unforeseen circumstances uh, resulted in us not winning. And then even the League Cup final, we took Man City to penalties when we had a much weaker squad than what we do have now. All right, and I think I've highlighted this in the season review, but next season we must go at the domestic cups a lot more than what we have done this season. Because if it is to be the worst case scenario when we don't actually pick up this piece of software next weekend, then it's easy enough to pick up the League Cup and get that monkey off his back if that's what it is. That's that's bothering people and um, psychologically could be affecting the team and Klopp himself. But I think it, it's it's probably the best situation we could have hoped for, even if, had it been Ajax or Tottenham. We go into this final much more experienced than both of those teams. And we were there last season. We felt the pain no more those from Mohamed Salah than going off injured in what was the biggest game of his career. And we go back full of confidence, full of experience, with a much better team than what we're facing. And Klopp will have learned from his mistakes. He, he, when he went to the first final against Bayern Munich, it was high on emotion. It was two German teams. And he was always playing second fiddle in Germany to Bayern Munich. And that that's probably always going to be the case as long as the finances continue in Germany the way they do and last season we were the underdogs against Real Madrid they've been there they've won it the previous couple of seasons and they had one of the two best players in the world really and Cristiano Ronaldo even though he was put in the back pocket of Andy Robertson most of the game 
Um, this season, it's it does go in as favourites, and we've rolled this season as favourites of pretty much 95-96% of games that we've played this season, apart from probably the two-man City games, which was 50-50. We've gone in with the expectation. The last three or four months of the season, we've been expected to win every game, and we have. So I don't think the pressure is actually going to become a problem for us. And that could be the telling fact that we're Spurs have not been on this high-profile stage. They even went to the League Cup final not so long ago, and they crumbled in that. And all right, people are then saying the fact it could be that Spurs are due one, but Liverpool are due one more than anybody. And this is going to be the deciding factor for us that our experience of last season and the favourites tag and our overall quality should see us through this one. And, and hopefully we're all celebrating number six in a few days' time. Yeah, we certainly hope so. <laughs> um, Alex, I mean, as much as you know that the talk about uh, you know the need for for Jurgen Klopp to win this, like you say, get that monkey off his back, is it fair to say that the team need to win this to to perhaps validate the season that they've had? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we spoke before about the apathy of that week leading up to City winning the title in Barcelona. If if it's for nothing. It's going to just be the biggest kick in the balls to have a team this good not win anything in their what maybe their crowning season. I mean, I also want to say that unlike 2013-14, which was probably our most, our most, because it wasn't decorated at all. We haven't had a decorated season. Our most uh, vivacious season in terms of the amount of life we had in the side and the amount of last season was great and all, but it was by the end of it, it was just the Champions League. 2013 14, we had the excitement, we had the scoring 100 goals, we had all the chaos uh, and how that ended badly. But from that chaos, what happened was ruined because no one had anything that even resembled a long term plan to follow on from 2013 14. Now, this is not just a mad, chaotic, just like insane ride that we're going to jump off and then go, oh, what next? This is part of the long-term plan. This is part of Jochen Klopp's plan. I don't think the Barcelona game necessarily was, but then sometimes long-term plans rely on chance, and that's what that was. It was, uh, as games go, it was almost empirical evidence that this team just is destined to win something. I don't believe in fate, but if this team doesn't win anything, then we should pack it in, realize that Istanbul came with a pact from the devil that we were never allowed to win anything ever again and that we sold our souls completely. And yeah, we should probably just, you know, dissolve because we won't get any happiness. Uh, If we don't win this Champions League final, it will just, yeah, it'll feel like the world's against us. But at the same token, it just, it doesn't feel like 2013-14 did where this is fleeting and this is just get caught up in the moment because otherwise you're not going to get it again. This just feels like, right, even if heartbreak happens, we will recover and we will do better. And when City, when, when City drop off, we will be there to capitalize. When someone tells us that we're not a European powerhouse anymore, we will be there to prove them wrong. But just please, God, let it be this Champions League that we finally get this squad the medals they deserve. Yeah, please. I'll pray to anything and anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, Guy, so who is going to be key for Liverpool? Um, wh- which players do you stand out as being key uh, for, for us to to go ahead and, and do as Alex said finally get that number six? Um, we've mentioned him a, a decent amount in, in the fact that he hasn't played against Spurs. I mean, apart from the second half of the Anfield game, I think. But for me, it's got to be Fabinho. Um, Musa Sissoko for them it feels weird saying this but he's been brilliant for them this season um, and he, he's seemingly a key player I'm not sure if he actually got it but I think I saw a lot of Spurs fans voting for him to be their player of the season which is considering how much they hated him a couple of seasons ago and when they bought him it, it's just mad um, <clears throat> but I think if Fabinho against Sissoko if they if if Fabinho, Fabinho for the one for me would be the one who stops him trying to play around the press. Um, 
or dribbling through the press. So I'll say Fabinho and kind of as an extension, the complete midfield, um, just to build on the point about control. So whether I imagine Ginny will play, um, and I'd probably say Henderson myself. I think that's probably our best midfield in terms of balance and stuff. So I'd I'd pick that midfield free for that. And then if they can just control Sissoko and whether it's Wanyama, Eric Dyer, or whoever else the Meyer midfielders they have in there, um, I think I think that's where that that's where we can just kind of take over take over the game if you like. So yeah, I I'd pick Fabinho on an extension of the other two midfielders. But yeah, Fabinho for me it's just. Such a transformative player. I think I've mentioned him on every every pod I've done since the end of the season. He, he's just so important. And if Klopp even thinks about not playing him, I will be very, very disappointed with Klopp. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well Wijnaldum didn't start the basket game. He even said how disappointed he was to not start, and that kind of spurred him on. I've got, I wrote an article a while ago about the midfield and how we needed to be braver and bolder. Um, the, in terms of the conservative midfields, Klopp does sort of resort to his, I won't call it the Brexit trio, but I will call it the departing Europe trio. Uh, because if we play it on, on, uh, it's a, Henderson sort of has to play for the leadership. Wijnaldum sort of has to play. And that means you leave out Milner, oh. which I think is fair enough. But Fabinho is, as Guy just said, the key. But at the same time, in recent ga- games this season, Liverpool have been neutered. It's because they haven't been able to build anything through the midfield. But then that's, well, who would you put in? I mean, Shakiri would be extremely bold and attacking to go 4 2 3 1 to put him at the tip there. But I don't think Klopp trusts him enough. Cater would be glorious, but he is probably injured. If he does feature, it'll be off the bench. We saw the Guinea manager saying that he'll be fine for AFCON. I'd somehow doubt it, but maybe he is. Uh, Ox hasn't got anywhere near full full fitness yet, so Henderson, Wijnaldum, and Fabinho seems the logistical choice. It's the midfield that featured against Everton, the nil all against United, and that nil all draw as well. Even when United barely had a midfield after they got that calamitous injury, uh, the PSG game, Milner came in for Fabinho. That was a two one loss. Two one loss to City had the same midfield. Uh, so it's eh, maybe because it's a final and to counter Spurs, Fabinho will be the, the special attraction, but I just I just feel like we do need that proactivity. That being said, Henderson playing as the advanced number eight wasn't featured in any of those games. So that's our wild card is that Henderson being the attacking more most attacking midfielder is something new and something that's worked an absolute treat. So in terms of yeah, the midfield seems to be the most contentious as it has been all season. But I wouldn't worry so much about Spurs' midfield. If I was Kloppo, I'd be worrying about how to get our midfield working so that it avoids the calamity that was Kiev. Because we, uh, I think Jay said it earlier, we were our class completely in Kiev. That Madrid midfield bossed our midfield around like they were schoolboys and said, listen here, we're passing it around you and you're going to stay still and you're going to, you're just going to take it. Yeah, and and Jay, coming to you, I think an important key to this is, as both guys have mentioned, look, you know that probably the only contentious thing here is is just who starts out with out of the midfield, and and it is really realistically it's three from four because of the injuries, um, that uh, the long term injury that that Ox has had, and he's only recently returned, and the fact that uh, Kate has been out injured and uh, may be ready for a place on the bench. I think when when you think back to last season's final, we had very little available to us on the bench. This season, we'll, we'll have a lot more. And you mentioned before we uh, we started this podcast how for this final, there's a new rule and that there's going to actually be a bigger bench than usual. Is it 12 players on the bench? So, you know, we, we can we can start with something, but we, we should have a lot more options available to us this year to change it should we need to do so. Yeah, the uh, the real change. I, I only heard this on a pod from uh, Gags and Dave, so shout out to the old school pod, which I listened to uh, yesterday. Uh, great listen, as always, with those two guys. Dave was on fine form, as always. But yeah, the uh, real change for this final is 12 substitutes allowed on the bench, and should it go to extra time, we hope not. Uh, there is a fourth substitute allowed to be used in extra time. So UEFA 
are actually changing it for the better for once. Um, taking it back to who I think will probably be key, I do think Fabinho will be vital and he has to start. And it should be Ginny and Henderson um, in the more advanced midfield roles. But for me, I'm going to pick out one player who I think is probably going to be a large factor in the final. And that's Trent Alexander-Arnold. Because coming from a wide position, that's where we know our main threat is. And if Spurs play with a back four, you'd imagine it would be Danny Rose. And if they play with a back three, it's going to be Danny Rose on the uh, left wing back position. He likes to get forward. And if Salah can occupy him and whoever plays in the left centre-back position, it leaves a lot of space for Trent. And Spurs tend to play in that on midfield with probably... If reporters we believe it's going to be Sissoko and Harry Winks because Harry Winks seems to have been training a lot the last over week to 10 days and Spurs seems to be rushing him back for this final. So there's another player who is probably not match fit but will probably get rushed into the game. Um, and Trent's delivery from the right-hand side, we all know how class that is and the amount of assists that him and Robertson have racked up this season. I think at the right-hand side, that is probably our danger because Salah will occupy two players at all times and it will leave Trent free. And I think he could be key. And he went to the final last year. He went to the World Cup and at 20 years of age. I mean, God knows what I was doing at 20 years of age. I was probably scratching around looking what was actually going on in the world and trying to wear my way through university. This lad's playing on the highest level two years in a row now. Um, so I think he's probably key to getting us the results that a lot of people probably forget about how influential he can be on that position. Um, and then, I don't I don't even know what more to say. Um, it, we've just got to win. It, 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 we've got to win this final. It, it's got to be us this season. And we are one to everyone. Every fan in this, in this whole country has wrote us off this season. We owe it to everyone to shut the hell up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a good time for us to to wrap things up then. And I'll stay with you, Jay. Uh, time for predictions. Uh, I've got to ask you, got to nail your colours to the mast. What what do you expect to be the uh, the final score? If Harry Kane starts, Liverpool win 3-0. If Harry Kane doesn't start, Liverpool win 3-1. I think if he does start, it plays in our favour. If he doesn't, then they have slightly more pace and direction and attack and they'll probably nick a goal but I think it's a comfortable victory via a couple of goals Liverpool um, I will say the goal scorers will be Mo Salah he'll get the opener because he deserves it more than anyone uh, Sadio Mane I don't know if you've noticed I think if Mane scores in the final Salah will treat him to a visit to the Grand Mosque in Cairo in Egypt and if uh, Salah scores in the final Mane said he'll buy him a lion so <laughs> that, <laughs> put that on your mantelpiece <laughs> that, yeah I don't I don't know why he's going to house that in Liverpool or whatever else in Liverpool he does live but a lion it is and then why not Divock Origi for the final goal the guy who's got us to this final and I give him big spiel about him in our season review on Face Off and if anyone is going to get a little tap in in the 85th minute just to put the games to bed, it's got to be Big Divock. So I like it. Uh, it. It's Kane dependent for me, but I fancy us to get three goals and secure the victory and secure the cup. Well, well, my youngest son made a prediction via doing a drawing and it was um, Mo Salah doing the yoga pause celebration and Harry Kane pointing at the European Cup and crying with the scoreboard see, yeah. saying, <laughs> yeah, scoreboard saying <laughs> Liverpool 3, Spurs 1. So um <laughs> I do hope he's right. Your boy, <laughs> so your boy knows how to rub it in and you've tried it well. <laughs> well come on then, Alex. Um time time for you to uh, make your prediction. Well, how do you think uh, it's gonna finish up? I think very similarly to Jay in that if Hurricane starts it plays into our favour, we win two nil. If Hurricane doesn't start, I think Spurs are more loose. No, sorry. If Harry Kane does start, they'll be more loose. I think a 2-0. T- I think if Harry Kane doesn't start and Son starts up front, they'll be trying to play off the counter more. And I think that would be maybe a 2-1 or a 1-0. Uh, I just want to say that if it goes to penalties, you will not hear from me ever again. 
I will have had an aneurysm. And I mean, my legacy will be short, but I hope quite nice to be able to go out watching Liverpool uh, and not knowing whether or not we won a European Cup final. I think that would be a nice death. So yeah, no, that's, if it goes to penalties, don't expect me to get me on the celebratory pod, lads. Just letting you know then. <laughs> and finally, over to you then, Guy. Um, how do you expect this one to finish up? Uh, me in hospital. Yes, absolutely. Um, we don't do things easily, so I'll say three, two, whether that's extra time or 90 minutes, but there's, there's no way this is going to end up a nice two nil win to Liverpool. And if it does, I may look like a twat and I don't care, but I'm going to go three, two. It'll be mental. We'll probably end up be losing 2-1 and come behind with Divock Origi scoring a hat-trick or something which would be lovely but I would not watch, I would not be around for the parade or anything like that because I will be in hospital <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'd, uh, I do think we're going to squeak it but I, I do think it's going to be tight so yeah my, my, my heart rate has really been suffering this year <laughs> Uh, listen, guys, that that is all we've got time so time for. So um, thanks so much. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Absolutely. Now, thanks, there's, Eddie. A, now there's only another million days to wait. <laughs> yeah, we're almost yeah. there. Long as we're on my reds. Yes. Um, don't forget, um, you can catch all the uh, the match reaction to the game uh, with Trev Downey and the Raw team over on AI Pro uh, straight after it. But my thanks to to Jay, to Alex and to Guy for joining me and uh, everyone here at Anfield Index would like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in and joining us on this incredible journey. Now, before the semi-final second leg against Barcelona, I signed off this podcast by saying that I hoped it wasn't the final Champions League preview of the season, that I really wanted to be doing one more. Well, the, the team and Jurgen Klopp thankfully answered those calls and Although I know this is the last Champions League preview podcast of the season, um, I do ask one last thing of this Liverpool team, and that is, please, 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 ensure we have one more star, that we make it six in Madrid, and that we return to do this again next season. Uh, sorry, when we return to do this next season, that, that um, we do this as defending champions. So th- this fantastic team have been absolutely brilliant this season. And it's only fitting that they lift a trophy, as we've all mentioned. So because as much amongst anything, they bloody well deserve to. And they've put us through the ringer. They've brought us joy. And, oh man, it, it's been insane. So um, also, as I, as I've said before, the second leg against Barcelona, this team had an opportunity to enter themselves into Anfield folklore. Well, now they have the chance to enter themselves into Liverpool Football Club history against Tottenham Hotspur on Saturday night. So, from Allez Le Rouge in 1977 to Allez Allez of the present day, it's time to believe, Reds, that number six, it's on its way. Babano. Network.